couple of uh, exciting things as we continue our series this morning. Uh, we've been in this series for several weeks now, and it's titled All the Feels, All the Feels. And we've been looking at human emotion and how we can express that emotion first to God in our vertical relationship with Him, and then to others in our horizontal relationships with the people around us. And we've used the book of Psalms as sort of a roadmap for that because we see throughout the Psalms... Uh, human beings interacting with God, pouring out their heart to God in the highs and the lows. And so far we've looked at, uh, at big ideas between sort of the relationship between feelings and faith. So we started out with this idea that you feel your feelings. You don't stuff them away or repress them. You feel them, but then you feed your faith. And you use that feeling to draw you closer to God, not push you farther away. And then we looked at this idea around fear. So we kind of went down into fear and the idea that every instance of fear is an opportunity for faith. That every time we're tempted to, to seize up in fear or to dwell on something and become anxious and, and apprehensive about it, we can use that as a, as a turning point to come back to God and to... Uh, grow our faith and develop our faith. Last week we, we talked about love and longing and used Mother's Day as sort of a launch pad for that and then got into this idea that we love others best when we love God first, when we get the order of our love relationships right. So if you missed any of those, you can find them on our podcast or go out to our website and the media page and catch up with us. But today we're going to be talking about growing in gratitude, growing in gratitude. And it's interesting, as, as I've thought about this series, this wasn't one of the series that I was the most excited to do. You see, I, I find that I wake up thinking about how the New Covenant is so much better than the Old Covenant, or, or how the book of Hebrews intersects our lives, and, and those are the things that I'm most excited to preach on or preach about. And this touchy-feely stuff doesn't just fit with my nature all that well. And talking about feelings, um, I remember when I first started taking personality profiles um, and, and things that kind of describe your personality, my thinking was always sky high and my feeling was clear down here in the basement. And uh, wouldn't you know it, God has a sense of humor. He has me marry somebody who is way up here on feeling and way down here on thinking. And, and uh, you might be smiling because maybe he did the same thing to you. But, but together we've kind of moved closer to each other. And uh, I realize that most people that I interact with don't wake up thinking about how much better the new covenant is than the old covenant. They wake up thinking, how am I going to get through the day? How am I going to manage the emotions? How am I going to get over this significant roadblock? How do I, how do I live best and manage my emotions and manage my relationships best. And so that's where this series is kind of born out of that. And it's been fun because I've gotten some, some new and some different feedback from some different people than I normally hear from, and, and that's been encouraging, and to re realize that it is resonating with people. So as we talk about growing in gratitude, we're talking about gratitude as one of our emotional responses to God and to other people, and the role that it plays in a healthy relationship with God, but also relationships that we have with other people. Would you think that two very grateful people would be more happily married than two very ungrateful people? No-brainer, right? The more that we give and, and receive gratitude in our relationships, the better those relationships are. And so today we'll be talking about feeling and expressing our thankfulness and our appreciation both to God 
and to other people. We see this over and over and over in the Psalms. We, we read from Psalm 136 as a responsive reading. There are songs that are anchored in the book of Psalms that have to do with our, our heartfelt expressions of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. And so when we talk about gratitude and, and appreciation today, we need to understand this is a secondary emotion and that there are somewhere between five and eight core emotions that psychologists and psychiatrists would talk about. Gratitude is almost always extension of joy. It's linked very closely to joy, um, but it is, it is a secondary emotion uh, to joy. And it has a really positive impact on all the other emotions. You see, we're complex, interrelated beings, and what we think and feel and how we act in various certain situations bleeds over into the other areas. And gratitude is one of those that is a catalyst for positive things in our emotional climate. And uh, so I want to teach you a little bit. You're going to get a free lesson in psychology from an unlicensed psychologist. That would be me. But this is something that I learned about in the last year or two, and uh, the more I I studied it and the more I began to think about it and apply it to my life and even put it into my prayer life, it had a big impact. And it's it's three words. I mentioned them in the first message. Uh, Baseline, swing, and recovery. Baseline, swing, and recovery. Gratitude has a big, big part to play in this. So there's an image on the screen here in just a second, that shows baseline swing and recovery. And so the line there, the black line, horizontal line in the middle, is our static level of happiness. This is, this is sort of our baseline. Now, some people have higher baselines than other people, right? There's Tiggers and Eeyores. Some people have a pretty high baseline, and some people have a pretty low baseline. But the idea between swing and recovery is that swing is when a positive or a negative event takes place, however far that moves us from our baseline is our swing. So you can see on the top line there, something positive happened, childbirth or winning the lottery. I'd recommend doing that in the other uh, order. Win the lottery first because kids are expensive, right? But you have a positive thing that happens, and that's your swing. And then your recovery is how long it takes you to get back to baseline. Okay, we tracking? And so then there's a negative event on the bottom half there that that a death or an accident or some sort of a negative um, event takes place in our life when we have a negative swing. Now, are you noticing something interesting about the recovery periods of the two? This is one of these things that's just a true truth about human nature is that we tend to return to baseline faster after a positive thing than we do after a negative thing. Now, you would be happier longer if the opposite was the case, right? That if something positive happened, you had a longer recovery back to baseline. But it just doesn't seem to work that way very often. However, gratitude can kind of play a role in that. So uh, if we go to the next slide, somebody who illustrated this, took the time to illustrate this, a guy by the name of Jason Langstorff. And he did it through just the experience of a cupcake, eating a cupcake, right? So we can have a little bit of fun with this. So right, you're kind of humming along at baseline. You realize there's a cupcake, and the anticipation begins to build. And so you're moving up. And then you're eating the cupcake. And your, your enjoyment, your happiness is, is peaking. And then the cupcake is gone. And there is a precipitous plummet down beyond baseline because the cupcake is gone. And now you are utterly alone in the world. And you begin the slow climb back to being okay. Right? So we can have a little bit of fun with this, but this kind of gives us a a picture into baseline swing and recovery. Now, when you go to the next slide, 
You see, what a lot of people do, they choose this either consciously or subconsciously, but they begin what we would call a slow decline. And they, rather than coming back up to baseline, they come up just short of their previous baseline because they have bitterness because all the cupcakes are behind you now, right? And there's nothing left to look forward to. And so instead of coming back up to baseline, you come up just shy of baseline. And then the next time this cycle repeats, your baseline continues to move downward. But there is an alternative, and we can choose to go in a different direction. If you go to the next slide, you can see that there's an option where we begin a better all the time response to this. And instead of just mourning the fact that all of our best cupcakes are behind us, when we get to the end of that cupcake and we come back to baseline, we can begin learning how to make our own cupcakes, for example. And maybe we struggle with the batter a little bit, and maybe that cupcake that we make isn't as good as the cupcake that we had. Um, And so we dip down And then there's a second batch, and we perfect the second batch, and it gets better and better, and we choose a positive upward trajectory for our baseline. We decide that we want to go upward. And if you put the two lines next to each other, as the next chart does, you can see an interesting thing happens. And this is what we would call sort of a positive vision or an idealistic vision for our life. If you don't have that, and the best you can hope for is a static baseline, then you'll always kind of go up and come down, and there'll be big ups, and there'll be big downs, there'll be little ups and little downs. You can see that by that bottom squiggly line. But something interesting happens if we choose and take it upon ourselves to set a positive trajectory for our baseline, so that our baseline is always moving upward, and we're always going in that direction. You can see something interesting happens about halfway through the screen. There's a big down, right? Or I should say it's the last big down, that drops down there, but it's higher than the previous height of a static baseline. Are you seeing that? Are you you tracking with me? This is what happens when we choose to incorporate gratitude into our lives. Gratitude becomes a lift for all of our emotions, and if we choose to focus on the things that we are grateful for rather than bemoaning and becoming bitter for the things that are no longer a part of our lives or the things that we have lost, then we set a positive trajectory for our baseline and our attitude and our mood and the things, our emotional climate, all of those things um, have a positive trajectory. And so uh, there are a lot of different uh, psychologists that have studied this, and, and this isn't just kind of conjecture or hypothesis. One in particular, Robert Emmons, he's at UC Davis, so the University of California. He's one of the foremost gratitude researchers, and he did a multi-year study with thousands of people from age 8 to 80. So pretty broad range, multiple generations were involved. And he found uh, benefits of gratitude in areas like our psychological mindset, um, you see on the, on the next slide that, that people who regularly practice gratitude experience more and higher positive emotions. They have increased joy and pleasure. They have more exercise and overall wellness, and they sleep longer and better. Raise your hand if you would like any of those. Raise your hand if you'd like all four of those to be a part of your life, or all five. Um, there's n- it's not just psychological. They've also tracked this to some physical benefits, that people that ex- regularly experience gratitude and regularly express gratitude multiple times a day have better immune systems. They have fewer aches and pains. Hello, anybody? They have lower blood pressure. They have more, um, they're more alert and more alive, more awake. To life, they have more optimism and happiness. And I think I'm reading my slides wrong. This is physical, 
The previous one was psychological. Uh, finally, there's some social ones. There's social benefits that come along with gratitude as well. People who regularly experience gratitude and express gratitude are, are more generous. They're more helpful to those around them. They have more compassion and are more forgiving people. They're more optimistic and experience more happiness. They're less lonely because everybody wants to be around somebody who's always being grateful and expressing that gratitude, and they experience a lot less isolation. So that's all just to lay a groundwork that gratitude really does benefit us, and it benefits the people around us. And so that's one of the main reasons that we're talking about this today. And one of the interesting things about gratitude is that it involves an affirmation of what is good. And so rather than dwelling on the negative, it involves an affirmation of what is good, but it it mixes a really important component that makes gratitude uh, even better, and that's the humility to recognize that it didn't come from within us. That when we express gratitude to God or we express gratitude to somebody else, we're, we're acknowledging the good thing, but we're also acknowledging that it didn't come from within us. That gratitude at its best is not me thanking me for being me. Gratitude at its best is me thanking God or me thanking you or me thanking someone in my life or you thanking someone in your life and recognizing and acknowledging the contribution that they've made to you and that that contribution came from outside of you. And that's what I think gives gratitude its power and that's what enables it to magnify the positive emotions and minimize or even block the negative emotions. I mean, think about it. You can't be grateful, sincerely, authentically grateful, and resentful at the same time. You just can't. So when you choose gratitude, you're kind of blocking some of the other negative emotions. When you choose to be grateful, it's really hard to be envious. If you're thanking God for what you have, you're not envying what somebody else has. And so we see that that gratitude, while it's an emotion, while it's a feeling, it's one that we can choose. It's a place that we can send our mind, send our thoughts, send our feelings in order to change our emotional climate. And so I want to look at Psalm 100 with you today. Uh, We're going to look at the whole thing. Don't worry, it's short. It's only five verses. Um, But Psalm 100 on page 937 of your Blue Pew Bibles uh, really gets to the heart of several aspects of gratitude that I wanted to talk about today. And it was really hard to pick just one. I started with Psalm 92, and then I was going to do 95, and then I was reading through all the Psalms right there around 100. There's about a dozen right around 100 that, that are Psalms that have to do with giving thanks, giving praise, praising God in one way or another. And so if you're, if you're struggling in this area and you're looking for a place to camp out in Scripture, you might start in the 90s of the Psalms and just read one or two a day and really meditate on it, think about it, focus on it, uh, because it kind of comes at this idea of gratitude from a number of different angles. Uh, but we do see that gratitude is a recurring theme in Scripture and in Psalms. And that's why our bottom line today is, is that gratitude is one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us. For all the reasons, all the benefits that we listed, and all that we'll see here in Scripture today as we focus on this one psalm, and there are many others, gratitude is a gift that God has given us. The ability to be grateful, the ability to express our gratitude to each other and to God is a gift because it brings about all these positive things in our lives. And Psalm 100 just happens to be very focused on several really important aspects. Let me read it to you, and then we'll walk back through it. 
But in this psalm, uh, we don't know who the author is, uh, but we do know that they're pretty happy. And uh, they just said, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So let's just look at the first couple of verses there. There's a number of exhortations or, or even commands that are given to the people, to the assembly, to the congregation. Many of the psalms would either be read or they would be sung, uh, sometimes accompanied with music, as, as the Jewish people came together for worship, much like we have today. And it begins with, with some exhortations to shout for joy, to worship with gladness, to sing joyful songs. And, and these are all active not passive things. These are things that we do with our bodies and our voices and, and our whole being. They're not just reflective or meditative. They're not passive at all. And it continues as he talks about knowing that God is God, knowing and entering his courts with praise and thanksgiving and giving thanks to him. So we see this, this initiation that takes place in the first couple of verses exhorting us to do this, that, that there's actually a commands in Scripture that we would be grateful people. So if you're the kind of person that needs a to-do list, you can put this on your to-do list every day because it's right there in Scripture that we would give thanks. And you see it in the Lord's Prayer, and you see it throughout Christ's ministry, that, that before he broke the bread and fed the 5,000, he gave thanks for it. We see these, these rhythms of life with God that have to do with bringing thanks and thanksgiving to God. Then in verse 3, um, we see this continue in verse 3. Uh, as, as the psalmist writes, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So right here in verse 3, I see three main reasons to be thankful. Three main reasons to praise God or to worship God. And worship at its core is essentially saying you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of thanks. You are worthy of expressions of my gratitude. And so when we worship God, we give thanks to him, we praise him, and there are three main reasons that we can do this. The first is we worship God for who he is. We see that the first line of verse 3, know that the Lord is God. We worship God for who he is, and we worship for what he is. Verse 5 tells us that he is good, and his love endures forever. We worship God for who he is. Apart from anything that he's done for us, we worship him for the attributes of his character, first and foremost. Then we worship God for what he has done. He's made us. He's made everything around us. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and everyone in it. That we worship God for what he has done in creating us and in revealing himself to us. Then the last line there, uh, we worship God for who he says we are. We worship God for who he says we are. He says, you are my people. You are the sheep of my pasture. I am your shepherd. You belong to me. We worship God for that, that he brought us into the fold, that he brought us into relationship with him. And it blows me away each time that I've spoken on these psalms. It's occurred to me that these psalms were written before Christ. 
These psalms were written before Christ took the penalty for our sin to the cross and paid the penalty for our sin that we could be in a relationship with him, that we could be a part of the family of God. So this psalm predates Christ. It was written before Christ did all that, and yet the psalmist was still pouring out his heart and praise to God for who he is, for what he's done, and for who he says that we are. Then in verse 4, we see sort of a, an alternation between thanking God and praising Him. We see, uh, and enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Then give thanks to Him and praise His name. And I was, I was interested in which words were being used there, so I studied the original language, and it's actually four different words. That the first time we're told to enter His courts with thanksgiving, it was talking about offering up thanksgiving. Much of the Hebrew language are these word pictures, and so it's this offering up of thanksgiving. And the praise, the word that we translate as praise in the second line of that psalm, or that verse, has to do with singing out or proclaiming our praise. So we begin with these actions of thanksgiving. And then the second half of verse 4 says, give thanks to him and praise his name. And these are more about the postures of our heart. That second time that we read the word give thanks, it's really to acknowledge. It's an interior thing, to acknowledge the goodness of God, to acknowledge the place that God holds in our life, who he is, what he's done, who he says we are. And the final one, that word bless or that word praise, uh, at the end of verse 4, praise his name, can also be translated as bless his name. And it carries with it this word picture of kneeling before God, kneeling to bless his name, kneeling in front of God. And so you see the active and the out there and the up as we bring thanksgiving to him, as we proclaim his goodness, as we sing his praises, but also the interior, the heart posture that we have before him, acknowledging that everything that is good in our lives has ultimately come from him and choosing to kneel and bless his name. We see all that there in verse 4. Finally, verse 5. Verse 5 says that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And I think verse 5 picks up on a really important generational aspect of gratitude. A generational aspect of gratitude. That, that living a grateful life, a life filled with consistent worship, has a generational impact on our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and in the culture around us. And this is one where you kind of get to choose what legacy do you want to leave? What legacy do you want to leave with your life? Do you want it to be a legacy of gratitude and thanksgiving? Or do you want it to be a legacy of grumbling and complaining and bitterness that there are no more good cupcakes around, right? Do we want our legacy to be one of adoration to God and appreciation to the people around us? Or do we want our legacy to be one of annoyance and anger at the world around us? Do we want our legacy to be a legacy of faith or of frustration and fear? And the words that we say and the things that we do and the way that we express them plays a really, really big role in the legacy that we leave. And as I go through that, I'm sure people come to mind on both sides of that. People come to mind that are always giving thanks, that are always up. They're always tiggers. They're always excited. They're always optimistic. They're always ready for the next thing, even as they take one hit after another. And, and you just think, how do they do that? Well, I believe there's a choice involved 
in a lot of it. And I'm sure that there are people that have come to mind that are always grumbling, that are always complaining, that are always have something that they're upset about or that they need to share. And so as you think about that generational impact of gratitude and the legacy that you want to leave, I hope that you'll choose to cultivate gratitude in your life, that you'll choose however much gratitude you have right now, that you'll choose to cultivate gratitude in your life and make that a part of the legacy that you leave to the world around you. There's a couple of ways that you can do this. I've listed three that you can jot down if you're inspired and you want to cultivate gratitude, or maybe there's some gratitude in your life but not a whole lot. The first, the first and this is really kind of at the foundation level, is to reject your expectations. If you want to cultivate a heart of gratitude, one of the things that you can do is start to question and, and reject your expectations. When I do premarital counseling with a couple that, that has come together and they want to get married, uh, one of the things that I talk about is the difference between expectations and desires. And part of the reason that they want to get married in the first place is that they had all these desires for what their life would be like. And they're convinced that this person that they're about to marry is going to give them what they desired in a relationship, in a marriage. And this is a good thing, and it's a wonderful thing, and the world must be peopled and all of that stuff, right? But there's an amazing thing that happens somewhere between I do and about the first month of their marriage. That all those desires turn into expectations, All those desires that this is the person that's going to make all my dreams come true turn into expectations, and this is the person that better make all my dreams come true, and you better fold the laundry, and you better do the dishes, and you better do this, and you better do that, and all the desires turn into expectations, and expectations kill relationships. Expectations kill relationships, because if I have certain desires, and I believe you're the person that's going to help me meet those desires then when the desire gets fulfilled, there's gratitude and there's joy. But when I have a laundry list of expectations and any one of them gets missed, that's what gets the focus. And there's no gratitude for just meeting expectations. Do you see where I'm going with this? So as we reject expectations, that can help us cultivate a heart of gratitude. And I've talked about marriages so far, but I have also seen this happen in our salvation. That up until the point of salvation, as we're learning and we're growing and we're understanding more and more things about God, we have all these desires. And we come to a point where we believe that God will help us to fulfill all of our desires if we will be saved, if we'll begin a salvation relationship with God. And if we're not careful, all of those desires turn into expectations with God. And when one of the expectations that we have placed on God, rightly or unrightly, does not get fulfilled, we start to question God's goodness. We start to doubt him. Satan comes in, starts whispering in our ears and telling us, well, if God was really good, he would meet your expectations, right? And so you can see where this is going. So as we reject expectations, that will help us cultivate a heart of gratitude. The next one is really simple. It's what I call creating gratitude prayer triggers. And I've talked about prayer triggers before. Prayer triggers are really simple little things that you build into your daily life that remind you to pray. And a gratitude prayer trigger would be something that happens in your daily life that reminds you to pray a prayer of thanksgiving. And so uh, red lights have become a gratitude prayer trigger for me. I don't usually enjoy red lights. I usually have to get somewhere Quickly, I'm often a minute or two late, and a red light doesn't meet my needs at the moment, right? Anybody resonate with that? But I decided, instead of stewing over a red light, which I have no control over whatsoever, 
I would turn red lights into a gratitude prayer trigger and take the 30 seconds or 45 seconds or 60 seconds that that light, even though it seems like much longer, if I choose to turn that into something that is going to, I'll just start thanking God for things. Um, Whenever I see a car like mine, a silver Toyota, I'll thank God for my car. Whenever, whenever I hear laughter, uh, it can become a prayer trigger to, to thank God. And it's usually re- just really small right inside my mind. I'll just say, thank you, God, for this moment with my family. Thank you, God, for the ability to laugh. Thank you, God, for something else that has happened. And, and these prayer triggers, these, I, I'm even experimenting with recognizing that I'm in a bad mood and letting that be a gratitude prayer trigger. So as soon as I'm aware that I'm in a bad mood, I want to make a list in my mind of three things that I'm thankful for. And when I do actually do it and remember to do it, it works. When I don't, obviously it doesn't. The last one, and for those of you that are a little more task-oriented and a little more long-term focused and a little more willing to really invest in something, I want to challenge you to do this one if you've never done this before. And it's to make a list of a thousand gifts. Make a list of a thousand gifts. This idea comes from a book that my counselor recommended to me when she noticed how negative I was and how pessimistic I was. And uh, she said, you ought to read this book and you ought to make a list of a thousand gifts. And the idea behind a list of a thousand gifts is simply just writing down 1,000 different things that you're thankful for. And you don't do it all in one sitting, usually. Um, I started my first one in August of 2012. It took me about a year and a half. To make it. And that seems like a long time, but that's about two a day. I'd skip some days and I would write more on certain days and so forth. And, uh, and then I kind of got into a negative swell uh, a few years later and started a second list of a thousand gifts, completed that one. Now it's become such a habit. It's almost in every single day of my journal, there's something that I'm thankful for, multiple things that I'm thankful for. And the, the premise uh, came from a, a, a mother of six, a uh, farm wife who had a lot of irritation in her life, who had a lot of negativity in her life. And she began to recognize a link between giving thanks, experiencing God's grace, and living with joy. And she decided to make a list of a thousand. And she filled it up and and, uh, wrote a book about it. And it's a gift for each person who will read it. And these can be big things. These can be little things. Some things, I just pulled up a section of my second one. And uh, one of the things was a nice long run. A hot cup of good coffee, kids sleeping in, you can amen to that. Uh, Fall colors or a thick frost, freshly mowed lawn. These are little things that just bring me joy, and it's so easy to just kind of overlook them. But when we choose to look for them, we have an opportunity to give thanks to God and experience the blessing all over again. And when you express your gratitude to another person, it multiplies it. Because now you're not only expressing the gratitude, they're receiving gratitude. And it feels good to receive gratitude. So gratitude is one of these things that can really make a big difference in our daily life and in our relationships and in our marriages and in our, our interactions with our children and our coworkers and on down the road. Because gratitude really is one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us. The ability to choose to be thankful to him or to someone else is a gift. When was the last time you opened it? When was the last time you got it out? When was the last time you gave it to somebody else? Because when we express our gratitude, we get to experience the blessing and the benefit that comes with gratitude, the psychological, the physical, the social benefits that come with that. 
and we have an opportunity to share it with others. So I want to encourage you that, that, that this next week, you would make it a priority at least once a day to go out of your way to express gratitude. Write somebody a thank you note, post something on their wall on Facebook, send somebody a text message every day, and just see what comes of that. Just see. It, nothing negative has ever come to me from expressing authentic gratitude. So I want to challenge you with that. I want to encourage you with that. As always, you have an opportunity to respond now. You can come forward to the altars. If you have a great need or a great burden and you just need some time alone, you can come to an altar. If you come to these middle two altars, you're kind of letting everybody know, I just want to pray alone right now. If you go to one of the outside altars, you're saying, I really like it if somebody would just come put a hand on my shoulder. And we have members of our staff and our local board of administration, uh, elders and prayer team members that will see you and will come and just put a hand on your shoulder. And if you want to you share a prayer request, you can do that. You can also come to the, the cross over here and, and write out a prayer request, roll it up, and stick it on there as a reminder that you prayed today. Um, but just respond in faith. Respond in faith. And I hope that everybody's prayer is however grateful you are right now that you would be more grateful and use more opportunities, take more opportunities to express that gratitude to God and to others. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the ability to give thanks. We thank you for the opportunities that you give us each and every day to express gratitude to you and to others. Lord, give us eyes to see them. Give us hearts that are quick to swell with gratitude and thanksgiving and appreciation. Give us eyes to see. Give us mouths to speak your goodness to those around us. Give us mouths that are quick to speak the things that we are thankful for to the people we are thankful for. And Lord, we thank you for for your inclusion of us in the family of God, that you made a way. We thank you for taking our place on the cross that we read these words from Psalm 100 on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the resurrection. May our joy and our gratitude be even greater because of that. Help us to receive, to use, and to give the gift of gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray.